Today we're going to be talking about libertarian Judaism's stance on drugs, and it'll largely focus on the religious aspects because the political are completely predictable. Rabbis have an utterly straightforward view on drugs, and that's that you shouldn't use drugs. The true teetotalers, who include tobacco and alcohol in the category of drugs, they have a valid stance, as sobriety is certainly defensible. But the problems come when rabbis start making distinctions between drugs without sufficient knowledge of the subject. I'm going to read a short passage written by Moshe Feinstein, a hugely respected figure in the Orthodox community. For those interested in looking into the topic further, this is from Igros Moshe, Yoreda 335, and it's a regularly quoted passage on the issue of drugs in Judaism. This is a loose translation that I'm taking from safaria.org, but I've made some changes too for the sake of clarity. Quote, It is obviously forbidden to smoke marijuana, as this violates many basic laws of our Torah. First of all, it physically injures the person. Even if there are people who are not physically affected by this, it mentally affects the person, as it destroys his mind and prevents him from understanding things properly. This is a terrible thing, since not only can the individual not properly study Torah, he also cannot pray and properly perform mitzvahs, since doing them mindlessly is considered as if they were not done at all. Furthermore, he is creating within himself a very strong desire, which is much stronger than the desire to eat, etc., which are necessary for a person to live. There are many that cannot control and withstand this desire. This is a very grave prohibition, as we find that a wayward and rebellious son is killed, as in Deuteronomy 21.18 for creating within himself a very strong desire, even though it is to eat kosher food. How much more so is it forbidden for a person to bring himself an even greater desire, especially for something that a person does not need at all? Unquote. This argument has a few facets worth addressing. I'll address the focus on marijuana, physical damage, mental damage, and addiction. Anyone who has used drugs or known people who use drugs, alcohol and tobacco included, knows that the substance and the user matter for the outcome. Someone can throw their life away over marijuana, or they can, albeit amazingly, come back from meth use seemingly unaffected. Drugs exist along a wide spectrum, and so do people's personalities and brain chemistries. Marijuana, while certainly habitual, is not chemically addictive, the way the nicotine in tobacco is. There are people who use a potentially addictive drug once, only to lose interest in it completely, and there are other people who use that drug once and chase it till the day they die. And this isn't to say it's all a wash, so we should just refuse to make distinctions. The differences demonstrate the real issues at play, which are self-knowledge and personal responsibility. These two things affect the other three pieces of Moshe Feinstein's argument that I'll address. Physical damage is hugely dependent on the actual drugs. So, things like marijuana or light alcohol use not only seem to not really hurt, even though they might have side effects, but they actually seem to have benefits. These aren't huge, and at best it's probably neutral physically, but light alcohol use has shown to help heart health, and light marijuana use has anti-inflammatory effects and other things like that. Then you start getting to the damaging, or more damaging, at the very least, drugs. And where cigarettes will, at least potentially, 
start to cause problems for a person, so they're increasing their likelihood for some cancers if they're susceptible to those especially. And then you get to the genuinely damaging things that are rather extreme, like meth that can make your teeth rot out of your mouth. There's very little to justify those in Jewish tradition. You, the idea of doing that much damage to your body is inconceivable. So the way they're being used today, it's nearly impossible to justify them. I've never heard anything even close to something that could, so we'll see. And that's concerning personal use, not legality. And then you get to mental damage. And this is something of a vague term that people like to throw out to just take a stand against drugs. I don't know how something can mentally damage you short of trauma. If we want to say that something actually destroys your brain, there is some evidence of this for the laboratory-made party drugs and all the random drugs that pop up in ex-Soviet republics where these are hugely damaging and some can take portions of your brain. But that's about it. Saying that alcohol mentally damages you even is a weak argument. And unless you use it to extremity where you would be blacking out I'm not sure how it's mentally damaging if they mean that this is just a not a good way to think that's a, that's fine but there are lots of beliefs people have that are also not good ways to think so I think once you're getting into this you're a little bit admitting that there is no damage and you just want to push the buck to something where you don't have to prove it, which includes mental damage, obviously. And lastly, the addiction element of this, we really need to drill down on addiction because addiction is not the same as habit. And we often conflate these things colloquially. So you can have a drug like marijuana that you will have people who smoke it every night before bed and they use it to get to sleep. And they will be habituated to the drug. They're not chemically addicted. They're used to doing this before bed. So their brain gets wired to expect this before bed. There's a difference between that and something like nicotine or cocaine or meth. And these are chemically addictive. Your brain develops a dependency. This isn't a habit you've built in by repetition. So once you're saying this is a feature of drugs, is addiction, we're not really using the term correctly, and that's just not helpful. We need to really be accurate in this stuff, or we're going to come out with faulty analysis, as I believe has been done and we can largely fix that by focusing on the right things so let's try with so many personal factors being relevant 
we really need to stop making blanket assertions. As with other personal issues, we should do our best to inform people while knowing that some portion of those people will not live up to the ideals that either we have or they themselves have. Realizing you have an addictive personality should obviously not be met with a prison sentence, but it also shouldn't be seen as a religious failure. If someone develops an addiction that negatively affects other parts of their life, it should obviously be addressed. Treating drug use as a moral failure only shows an ignorance of the subject matter. Judaism is concerned with actual harm done to the body, and social harms should also get some consideration. It's not unimportant. A glass of wine with dinner can make the night more enjoyable, and no one can reasonably claim that that glass of wine will destroy your liver. Having a handle of whiskey with dinner signals a problem. Proportion is key to understanding health, and this is the implication of the passage from Deuteronomy and even Moshe Feinstein's edition about kosher food even potentially being the problem. Refusing to draw reasonable limits is the issue, not the drugs. Someone who runs on a treadmill every night until passing out could easily cause the same bodily harm as someone who spent the night drinking until they passed out. But it would be absurd to say that the working out was the problem. Abusing any part of life is horribly detrimental, but Jewish tradition speaks unequivocally about those who refuse to healthfully indulge in earthly pleasures. The Jerusalem Talmud says this succinctly in Kedushin 4.12, quote, A person will have to answer for everything that his eye beheld and he did not consume, unquote. And this is talking about things like a ripe fruit that you choose not to buy, that you haven't had this year, and other similarly odd but enjoyable mitzvahs that exist. And that says it very curtly. But if you want to get it in more depth, you can look to the life of Rebbe Nachman, who I adore. For anyone who doesn't know, Rebbe Nachman was the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, who would become the founder of Hasidism. Rebbe Nachman spent his youth doing all sorts of really austere religious practices, so he would fast for extended periods, he would plunge himself into freezing water, and other similar things that he thought were what God wanted of him, and this is how to get close to God. But because of these things he did in his youth, he went on to be extremely sickly, and died at 38 of tuberculosis that people examining him concluded he almost certainly could have lived through had he not made himself so weak through doing these things in his youth. And he realized this, and he essentially renounced all of these practices and said, this isn't the way to do it. But with all that said, Rabbi Nachman still contributed the healthy practice of Hispatidus to the world. And for those who don't know or aren't familiar enough, Rabbi Nachman recommended for his followers to spend an hour each day in isolation. And this usually happens in 
some sort of wilderness, whether it's a forest or a, an open field or something like that. And he wanted them to talk to God in their mother tongue as though they were talking to a close friend. And essentially just have a nice talk alone with God each day for an hour. And that's his Bodidus. This is an absolutely wonderful practice in my opinion, and you can clearly observe that this originated in Rabbi Nachman's damaging practices. He went on isolated retreats often. This was a major portion of his life, and during his middle years, this is something he did regularly, and he actually would spend months apart from his wife and children to do these things. He would take trips alone. He would do extended journeys in complete isolation. And only after going through all this and having his final years be defined by illness did he realize the healthy way to embrace austerity, which was in these small doses. And very controlled and you can come back from them immediately. This is a lesson that we'd be wise to apply to drugs. And exactly the damage Rebbe Nachman unfortunately suffered from his youth is the stake on the topic of drugs too. Maybe there's never a time to use heroin or meth. That seems likely to me, and I have no plans to use either. However, if someone finds a use for marijuana that is spiritually productive and personally enjoyable while avoiding the damages of other drugs, I don't pretend I'm righteous enough to tell them to stop. And as Rabbi Nachman provide an example to avoid an austerity, innumerable people have provided that same example to avoid unharmful drug habits. That doesn't make a good drug habit impossible, it actually makes it more achievable. And it's important to think about that Jewish tradition got the healthy view on alcohol we have from seeing bad examples. And it's very easy to know people who will smoke marijuana and spend the day on the couch. But if you do any exploration, you see people who smoke and are extremely productive. And being able to actually master a drug, actually, it provides an important route for users of that. So as with alcohol, where you can say to a drunk, hey, you need to pull it back to two drinks and then look what you can be. And even this wise, righteous person, two drinks, that's what they do. It would be great to be able to actually say to someone, hey, this is a great way to use it. And we have results and we actually have a tradition that supports it. We don't have to support overuse and supporting a substance doesn't somehow entail supporting its abuse. And as with people who abuse alcohol or smoke multiple packs of cigarettes per day, the appropriate response to overuse and abuse is to provide that good example. Throwing people in jail obviously isn't going to help. Prison all the more so. 
we really need to be focusing on showing good examples. And by proving that we are willing to embrace things that can be used well, we'll actually have some authority when we proclaim that other things really can't be used well. Tobacco and alcohol in Western society are almost universally accepted. These are drugs you can use without being a monster. And it's changing a little bit on tobacco, but we'll see where that ends up. But these are socially acceptable. And when you have those two, which are not terribly safe, these are damaging drugs. These are not great substances to have legal. We have these, and then something like marijuana pops into real public use. This isn't what people want to say about all the founding fathers having hemp fields and that the drug must have been used and all that. It's commonly used. It's been commonly used for decades now. We need to take it seriously only to maintain a semblance of religious authority for the Jewish tradition. By addressing each drug on a case-by-case basis and being truly open to the idea that if this shows good results, we can embrace it, we'll actually have some integrity and a debate that rarely has any. You have the libertarian types who think marijuana is the prime issue of libertarianism, where they have their first topic that they'll bring up in any circumstance be drug legalization. And that's a laughable interpretation of a really deep and virtue-focused tradition that is libertarianism. And then on the other side of it, where you want state control of all these substances, you have people who really have neither learned from historical examples of prohibition, nor do they pay attention to medical evidence. And this isn't saying you as an individual should or shouldn't use a drug. You can make up your own mind. I don't really want to put myself in your business, nor am I knowledgeable enough to do so for every individual. That's ludicrous. And as with most places, the middle ground is just taking things case by case and focusing on actual evidence and value provided and any detriments. This isn't a hard equation. And if you do the research, drugs become increasingly simple decisions. So you get to a world where, yeah, probably heroin and meth, no. Flatly no. A psychedelic, if you want, it's not going to destroy you, but you can see cases where people fall into that world, and they like that world more than reality. And that's a scary place to be. So there really are drawbacks when you go too far into that, even though 
physically it might not damage you at all. So you, but this is a balancing act that individuals are capable of. And having a, a Judaism that condemns them, all these substances flatly and across the board is just not being honest about the situation. So we need to start finding proper uses for these, whether that means getting edibles kosher certified or just doing the research and going, okay, it's not a big deal if the kids smoke pot out back. These are choices to be made and individuals, parents, whoever can make the judgments. And that's where most things should lie and drugs especially because if we focus on Rebbe Nachman's life and just use it as an analogy for this, what we're desiring should be very clear. And I think it can be if we honestly assess it. So with a little bit of personal responsibility to both find the information and act on it and really try to live up to our ideals. And if we're not being honest with the people around us and telling them we need help, these are all great things. And even the reaching out for help while not being ideal is the best thing you can do in the situation and we need to make a, an environment that's okay with that too and a lot of this comes from just not considering these things sinful the same way we wouldn't want them considered illegal or made illegal so hopefully you found this interesting and I'm hoping more things like this will be made where it will be focusing on the religious angle. I'm going to try to bring this in a bit more. So tell me what you think. Thanks. And if you're interested in the ideas I'm discussing, find more on our own website, libertarianjudaism.com, or on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash libertarianjudaism. Thanks for listening. Bye.